My name's Ben, and you are listening to Disney Plus Plus Ben Plus Friends, which is a podcast where I talk about Disney Plus Plus my friends. And man, I'm really excited for this episode. We've got a movie that is just an absolute blast. It's cotton candy in movie form. It's It wasn't technically a Disney movie, but because Disney owns the whole universe, it, it counts for the podcast. When Disney Plus launched, one of the big things they were advertising is that you could stream Avatar in 4K. So we are talking about Avatar, James Cameron's Avatar, not to be confused with Avatar The Last Airbender or uh, the M. Night Shyamalan just absolute disaster that is the live action version of that. Oh boy, that's a whole different podcast about bad movies. And we're not talking about bad movies today. We're talking about fun movies with my friends. And I've got two great friends. So up up first, he is the, the co-owner of Colony and the Rhino. And he's just an awesome dude. Give it up for my buddy, Zach Henderson. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's, it's good What's to have your name, you. Your name says Sarah, so you're using your... I am using wife my wife's name. account because yeah. she's a teacher and she gets Zoom for free. You know what? It's, <laughs> I'll take care of anything I can because, yeah, she doesn't get paid a, a living wage. But that's another <laughs> podcast. And also on the podcast, owner of Screenland Movie Theater, Kansas City's only and, and also best uh, locally owned movie theater and co-host of a, a couple of really great podcasts and and just doer of great things. It's Adam Roberts. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Hey, hey you could actually take this uh, because uh, technically you're paying with your tax dollars to use this Zoom. We should all have free Zoom uh, if you know somebody who works in a school district. That's true. That's the loophole. Everybody just find a teacher, uh, you yeah. know, just latch on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's awesome to have you guys on the podcast. We're going to be talking movies. Zach is a big movie buff. Adam is a big movie buff who also makes movies. And, and this is just, just like, man, a, quite a bit of movie to talk about. It's, it's two hours and 40 minutes long. It throws a lot at you. Before we get to Avatar, I want to make sure that the audience knows you guys a little bit better, since I know you guys quite a bit better than they do. Unless it's like, I don't know, like if Zach's wife's listening, I guess she knows him better than I do. But <laughs> I'm already rambling. This is a good sign. This is going to be one of those two hour long episodes. So what I'm going to ask you guys is who would be on your Mount Mousemore? So this is like Mount Rushmore, but Disney and it's all things that Disney owns. So Disney, Pixar, Marvel, it's all, it's all fair game. It could be whatever you want. Like mine would probably be for Chewbacca's, but uh, <laughs> you can have it be whatever you want. Zach, who would be on your Mount Mousemore? And why? Um, I was thinking about what would be also the most ridiculous looking Rushmore ever. Sure. So, so part of yours, you, people who might not know this about you, you're an incredible visual artist. So of course your brain goes straight to what would be the wackiest looking giant rock sculpture? Yeah. Yeah, and I like this. Because there's too much, too much love for everything Star Wars, I didn't add any Star Wars stuff even though it probably should have been all, like, all of it. But, <laughs> again, that's another podcast. That's but, another podcast. Um, I, I, had to go with some, I had to go with something classic, like, which, I mean, I, I love Mickey, like, love it. But, like, my, I mean, growing up, my all-time favorite character was Goofy, by far. So I have to go Goofy. I have to, I, I have to add my favorite princess, which is Mulan. Whoa, um, good pick. And so 
also I'm just like I'm I'm not I'm not even joking when I say this. I was literally had a countdown on my phone that I showed my daughter every single day leading up to take her to Mulan. And because she knows it's my favorite princess and it was very difficult to try to help her understand why we can't go see Mulan. Oh, right. The live action. Yeah. When, when the countdown was over. <laughs> so every day she still asks when uh, she gets to see it. So also not going to pay $30 whenever I already pay for Disney plus. So. Yeah. Um, then I had to go with, uh, Matt Murdock. Oh, okay. Um, not the Ben Affleck Matt Murdock, but yeah, I love Daredevil. And then I had to go with. I was thinking Tony Stark, but I had to. I went with Scott Lang. He's probably my uh, excellent, excellent. Okay, my, so so we've got we've got Ant Man, Daredevil, Mulan, yeah. and Goofy. Yep. This is excellent. Uh, now, yeah. just really quick, just kind of like five words or less, thoughts on a Goofy movie? <laughs> oh, I, the reason I started collecting VHS years ago was to, mainly because of that movie, so that my kids would watch that movie. Okay, and excellent. And Powerline on VHS the way that I Yes, yes. All right, that was the last episode of our podcast. So oh. uh, I, I had to ask you, um, I had the band Faint Heart on to talk about a goofy movie. Oh man, so, it's the best. It's so good, so good. All right, Adam, give me your Mount Mouse more. So uh, I have, I, I feel like I wanted to, to, to do what Zach did as well and to have a pretty good diverse list. Uh, and as he was saying his, I was refining mine. So I think my list is much better. Um, <laughs> So uh, honorable mention before I even start uh, to Shaq and Kazam, which is a Disney owned film, uh, honorable mention to, to him is not going to make my rush more, but uh, I'm going to kick it off with uh, Gordon Bombay from the Mighty yes. Ducks. Uh, he's in three movies. He's an incredible character. I, I you know, uh, as a kid, I think it was shocking. Uh, the first, you know, the, like pre like 1998, like live action Disney movies were pretty dark. And if we remember the first Mighty Ducks, Gordon Bombay is in a rough shape. He's, you know, an alcoholic. He gets in a car crash. He's got to do community has, service. He gets yeah. a DUI, right? Yeah. Like explicitly a DUI. Absolutely. Yeah. He's got to do community service. And, and he reluctantly as the coach hockey after, you know, so many years of forgetting who he was, it's kind of a Peter Panny vibe uh, in, in many ways. Uh, but he's a great character. Uh, made me love Emilio Estevez. I quickly like went through his catalog and was like, Young Guns, Young Guns is awesome too. And then The Breakfast Club, and, you know, and then Repo Man and all these things. Uh, so yeah, Man. Gordon yep. Bombay kicks it off for me. Um, uh, I'm gonna go Star Lord. Yes. Uh, I think we need. We I, I just need some uh, some fun. It, it's also a, another kind of underdog story. Uh, you know, somebody from. Uh, Middle of nowhere, Missouri, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think part of it is I love James Gunn so much and his characters, and, and he did Star Lord better than I think anybody's ever done it. And Chris Pratt, it's just magic what happens in that movie, and it shouldn't exist. Uh, I'm so glad he's coming back for three. I'm so glad Disney made up. I mean, what a dumb mistake they made in the first place. Oh, yeah. At least they righted the wrong. Yeah. So then uh, my third is going to be uh, from the Indiana Jones series. It is Star-Lord. Not, not going to be the obvious one. It is 
Marion Ravenwood, uh, the, mo- the most badass woman, I think. I mean, yeah. she, she she makes the first movie, you know, and even the last one, like, she makes Crystal Skull at least, like, relatively fun, but she's just such a badass in Raiders of the Lost Ark, like, from the se- scene one when she's, you know, going shot for shot in the bar, and it's just like, Marion Ravenwood rules. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and Her liver a- is an underrated superpower. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> So then my last one is, uh, I'm in quite the predicament here, and I need your help, Ben, because you can't have one without all of them, um, without all three. So is it fair to sneak in all three of the Sanderson sisters? Oh. Yeah. no, see, I think you gotta really pull a, a Sophie's choice and, and well, if, okay, I was prepared. If oh, I can't, okay. if I can't have all three. <laughs> I'm going to have none and I'll have Thackeray Binks instead. All right. All right. Respectable. Respectable. <laughs> because he's a talking uh, cat and he's yeah. so lovable yeah. and I love him. And he's, he's and quite, it, we quite need more statues of giant talking cats too. <laughs> I think. Yeah. I mean, William, uh, Billy Butcherson would have been a good second, I think, but, uh, yeah. cause Doug Jones yes. plays him so well, but, yeah. but, uh, Thackeray Binks is just, you know, he goes from a teenage boy to, uh, you know, a cat that is thousands of years old. And it's just, <laughs> it's incredible. All right. You know what? That movie has aged so well. It really holds oh, yeah. up exceptionally well. It holds I, so well. This is going to be the first Halloween that I've been doing this podcast. And I've already had like 20 friends that are like, I get that episode. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to, you're going to have to have like a lottery to decide who the guest hosts are on that. <laughs> I one. was one of them. Hey, you know, I, I would trade it in um, because that is such a popular one. I'll trade that one in for a, a couple deep cuts where I think you'd have to do two in one episode, but I would do the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad and so good. the skeleton dance. And I would even say Ooh. watcher in the woods because those first two are really I've never short. Seen watcher in the woods. Yeah. 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 Ichabod's yeah. really short. Yeah. And so is the skeleton dance. I mean, it's like five minutes. So those are almost like two shorts and then you could do uh watcher in the woods. Uh, so I will trade it in preemptively for a collection of of some classic Disney scary stuff. And you're like Mr. Halloween. So, yeah, okay. All right, you guys heard it on the pod. It's already booked. It's already booked. Right. It's official. We committed it to wax. This, <laughs> By the way, this is an analog podcast. We yeah. do record this to vinyl, straight, straight to vinyl at, uh, at Jack White's recording studio. <laughs> All right, uh, so people definitely have a good feel for you guys now because those were two wild-ass Mount Mouse Wars. So uh, <laughs> let's jump into Avatar. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. There's there's so much to say. So, you know, I'll say up the, off the top, this is one of the more recent ones, so it, it's in people's memories. Uh, this, this was an absolute cultural phenomenon. I think people remember it was a big deal when it came out. But it was absolutely wild. It ended up grossing over $2,789,000,000 worldwide. It was 72.7% of the total worldwide gross in international markets, which, Adam, you own a movie theater. That's in, that's, those numbers sound made up. They don't sound real. And this was against a, a $237 million budget. So this was a big budget movie. But it not only did it make its money back, I mean, it made its money back to a laughable degree. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was a great hit commercially, but critics liked it a lot. Peter Travers, who's kind of my go-to film critic on this podcast, just because I think he understands what movies are supposed to be and what they're trying to be, gave it 3.5 out of four stars. And he said, unlike Hack of the Decade, Michael Bay, some shade there, 
who can transform anything into instant stupid. James Cameron knows how to harness technology to storytell. He's been cooking up the pot of Avatar since the childhood, and it shows. So again, 3.5 stars from Peter Travers. An absolute smash hit. James Cameron had directed previously the highest grossing film of all time, Titanic, and then followed it up with this one. It's, it's I believe, still with inflation factored in the highest grossing film of all time. Some of the most recent Star Wars movies and Marvel's movie, they technically made more dollars, but not after inflation. I believe that that is correct. Uh, Adam, correct me if you think that that's wrong. I believe that is true. Because uh, Endgame made more money, but it it wasn't factoring inflation. Like, I mean, it, it, right? I don't know. We're well, kind of in the weeds here a little. I think the point Gone is with, it made a lot of money. <laughs> I think it's number two. So Gone with the Wind technically has always been above it. With inflation. Um, yeah, with inflation. But but I, uh, I think pre-1950, it's hard to inflate. I mean, that's... It's hard to inflate that. That's at some point you're going to be like, it's been, it's almost been a hundred years since Gone with the Wind. I mean, we're we're close. You know, yeah, right? and like when Gone with the Wind came out, it was like, well, do we want to stay home and do nothing or go see the one movie that's out the right tenth now? Movie yeah. ever made? Yes, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So Avatar yeah. is, I mean, just an absolute smash hit by all definitions, and it, you know, it came out in in 2009, and I mean, spoiler alert, it holds up crazy well i mean it, it is uh, it was december of 2009 and uh I, i'm blown away by it holds up how how well it holds up so i just want to talk to you guys about it what are your favorite parts of this movie what do you like about avatar what do you think people get wrong about avatar what let's talk about avatar so uh for me uh, this i'm a huge jim cameron fan first and foremost you're on the right side of history. <laughs> I, I mean, I am the, the man can't do any wrong. Like even his documentaries are tremendous. I think, uh, you know, he takes great political and uh, um, ecological stances. You know, and he doesn't do it in like a ham fist away like uh, like Bono does from U two. Even though you know he's they've both been right, but um, like J James Cameron's always done like he's been the forefront of making movies. And he started writing this movie in like 94 and he tried yeah. to make it in like the late nineties. And he's just like, can't do it. Technology's not there. Had to, he waited like almost 12 years from like idea he, to filming. He wanted it to be the follow-up to Titanic, which I mean, it ended up being his yeah. follow-up to Titanic, but well, his feature, he made a, his, a handful he made some of documentaries, documentaries in yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was the first original piece since Titanic, but mm -hmm. he wanted it to come out in 1999 and he was trying to sell it on a $400 million budget. And everyone was yeah. like, hey, man, I know you just made Titanic, but we're not going to green like this. And I'm so glad they told him no, because you couldn't have done this back then. Yeah. I mean, uh, so, so, so like the one thing that people always fixate, um, well, so so getting out of the way that like, this is the guy who did Aliens, this is the guy who made Terminator and Terminator 2, The, the Abyss, Abyss. Yep. you know, he, he's made, you know, even Titanic, True Lies, he's made all these fantastic movies. Um so in my mind, he could do no wrong with these big budget, like big scope action sci-fi movies. So of course I, I was, I was actually, so in the summer of, uh, in the summer of 2009, when this movie came out, they did because tracking on this movie, which is like how, uh, studios predict how much you're going to make was just bottom of the barrel. Like up to the release, they projected this movie to absolutely bomb and ruin James Cameron's career which he spent a lot of his own money into it. Like he went, that's why he owns Avatar. Well, so because it, it was supposed to come out in the summer and they pushed it back to December, right? Because yes. they were so sure it was going to bomb. 
Yes. Which so is they, insane looking but, back. <laughs> yeah, but what they did is they sent um they did like a 3d test for select theaters around the country and you could sign up for free tickets it was just you gotta see 10 minute sequence uh, and and see what the 3d is and i remember going and like bringing my like, my friends i'm like i don't know it's jim cameron doing this uh new 3d thing i gotta see what it is he's been talking about it for years i'm in and it's free so we went to uh, an amc and we saw 10 minutes which was it was pretty much when he first meets well when he when the nighttime sequence happens and all like kind of the butterflies are flying around and, and lightning bugs and stuff. And it was that whole like sequence up to like running into the rest of the Navi. So it was about a 10 minute sequence of them running through the jungle, jumping around and fighting with that wolf, wolf dog thing. Um, and it was like, holy I, I call shit. it Jesus lizard Panther. Yeah. yeah. Jesus <laughs> lizard Panther. Uh, <laughs> but I, after the theater probably had 30 people in it, it was IMAX, 3d theater and uh so that i was like oh no this is not gonna do well but i was blown away by it and i was hyped so i was there day one which i think was like right before christmas the week before christmas like the 15th or 16th of december somewhere in that range and uh i was blown away so when, when initially didn't do great I, I, I don't know if people remember this this movie was on the fucking box sorry uh language uh it was on the <laughs> the box office charts for like three months solid it was just in the top five and it was a yes. slow crawl to that huge gross you talked about i think it did like 75 or 80 million dollars that first weekend and it eventually ended up at 750 million you know now you see a star wars movie they make 250 million that first weekend and it's all downhill from there and it's like and that's, that's just us you're talking about yeah, that yeah. seven fifty is just the U.S., but it only did seventy five million that first weekend, and it did. You know, it kept going consistently, consistently. And I remember just how, how like per, consistent, and persistent that that budget was. But but then the backlash started coming. In. People were like, "Oh, it's so long," and the three D is gimmicky. And and I will say one thing about this movie: the three D is not gimmicky. It's it nope. uses utilizes it. I wish I had a three D TV to watch this movie because it is like some of the best you'll see. But this movie rocks, man. And I, and I just, I've never seen a, the special edition re-release. Uh, that's the Blu-ray I watched this time, which had, I think it's even longer. It's got like maybe 20 minutes in it. I can't tell you oh, what wow. the time. Hang on, I'll, t- I'll, I'll look it up. Well, like, I'm, I'm with you though, that it's not gimmicky 3D. Cause if it were like, I've watched gimmicky 3D movies in 2D. Like there was my bloody Valentine 3D that came out like maybe about, I don't know, 12 years ago. I watched that in 2D and it's like, oh, he threw his pickaxe at the screen so that mm-hmm. I'd go, whoa, <laughs> you know, like this, this is not gimmicky 3D at all. It's, it's all done entirely to establish depth of image, the way that the actual eyeball perceives things. And when this movie was made, James Cameron literally invented a new camera to shoot it, which is a thing he's done throughout his career. But, yeah, you know, it, it was like a two lens camera. And they were like, if I remember correctly, the lenses of the camera were like, like especially spherical so that it would actually replicate the way that the human eye perceives the world. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah. uh, The one I watched was 18 minutes longer. Um, So so just shy of three hours. I can't tell you what was extra in the movie, but I will tell you, I started this movie at 11 PM and I was still, I was like, that's a rough time. You never know if you're going to be asleep in an hour or not. And I knew this movie was almost three hours and I was on the edge of my seat until almost two o'clock in the morning. So that's what the first thing I want to say that one of my favorite things about this movie, which is important for a popcorn film, is the pacing is incredible. So 16 mm-hmm. minutes exactly into the movie, 
Jake enters the Avatar for the first time and has that scene where he, you know, runs out into the camp and like, you know, it's clumsy, but he has his legs for the first time. 16 minutes is breakneck speed considering how much lore is established, Mm -hmm. how much background. I mean, like in that amount of time, we learn Jake is a twin. His twin was this scientist guy who was perfect for the Avatar program. They only picked Jake because he was biologically close enough to still use the avatar that they created for him. We learn about Grace and her mission. We learn about, you know, like all of all of the more corrupt side of it, the business side of it, that they're there for unobtainium. All of that in 16 minutes. And then at 24 minutes, we get our first real like ride into deep Pandora and see the jungle and the waterfalls and stuff like that. And then like not even an hour into it, we get Jake, that whole sequence where like Jake learns how to ride an aardvark horse. Jake learns how to ride a a Gila monster swan, you know? And like the fact that that happens so, I mean, this is clearly a, a genius director who is also writing the script and like, look, maybe some of the shortcomings of the script are some like kind of stilted dialogue and things. But as far as world building and adventure and pacing are concerned, it's a masterclass in screenwriting. It is an absolutely economic script considering that this film is two hours and 40 minutes long. And that's one of my favorite things about the movie is that it's it's almost three hours long and yet I'm never bored. I am never looking at my phone. I am just plugged in as if I have sucked my hair tentacles directly into the hair tentacles of a Gila monster swan. I'm just pulled in there and I see it. I, you know what, Avatar? I see you. I see you. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of like the, Adam, kind of what you were talking about. It's like, I, I was one of those that like waited because I, like sci-fi is not my, my forte. I don't rush out to see sci-fi stuff. But then, on, but then on the other hand, you know, with Cameron, his are like my favorite sci-fi movies in the whole world. And I've never thought he could ever do anything wrong. And so whenever it was like, even with Titanic, it was like, you can't hate Titanic no matter if you don't like love stories or not. Like it's still Titanic a phenomenal yeah. <laughs> piece of work. But it was another thing that was like, I was going into that thinking like, I hate, I hate, hate, hate freaking movies. Yeah. You know, leading up to that, it was like, and he, honestly, even after that, it was like, I still haven't seen, I, I, I can honestly remember getting those glasses when you walk into the theater and thinking for the first <laughs> time, like it wasn't the cheap, I mean, they were cheap. I, mean, I, they were I like, will go to bat cheap. for Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is the only movie since Avatar that I thought fully utilized 3D in like a cool, challenging way. I, yeah. I liked Doctor yeah. Strange a lot. No, oh, not, I, I'm not like, sorry to interrupt, Zach, but like that's no, I feel no. I feel passionately enough about Doctor Strange that I'll interrupt you for just a second to interject that. But no, but, no, it's good because can I yell, can I yell at something? Yeah, you, you are forgetting Gravity and Hugo. You're right about both. You're right about both. Hugo, See, it, so over, well, it's that Scorsese, right? Yeah, yeah, and then Gravity. You're right. Okay, but so, but still, yeah. we're talking about three <laughs> movies since Avatar came out in December 2009. Yeah, and how many 3D big theatrical releases have there been? You're you're absolutely right, Zach. Yeah, no, no. Totally. It was like I love, but like on the other hand, like I do love like cheap 3D horror movies, like because it's it's gimmicky, it's it's part of it. But it's like well, I remember just like that that first 
you know, image when you see, you know, Pandora, it's just like, it, it wasn't 3D. Like nothing about it looked 3D. It just felt, it, I, I like, I remember just thinking like, I've never I, seen any, anything like this. I think like, that first yeah. moment where you see the floating waterfalls, I think you yeah. have to go to, and I, like, stop me if I'm being hyperbolic. I think you have to go to like, Dorothy stepping out of the house into Oz. Yeah. You have yeah. to go oh, to 100%. You yeah. have to go to like the Millennium Falcon jumping to light speed. You have to go mm-hmm. to the Battle of Helm's Deep in Two Towers. I mean like that is the level of visual storytelling that is happening and the mm-hmm. level of film magic, magic that is mm-hmm. happening and I can't believe that it's 2020 and I'm watching this on my like, okay, Samsung TV that is seven years old, eight years old, and still like staring <laughs> at it, mouth agape drooling on my Xbox One controller. You know I mean? Like, like it's, it's really magical. I, and I mean, some of the stuff that tricked my brain, I mean, like there's this moment where Sam is talking to Miles Corich, who, I mean, a whole, whole nother conversation that we'll have to have about uh, Colonel Miles Corich and, and the, the incredible scene chewing that Stephen Lang is doing. But there's a scene very early on where it's it, where they're kind of, it's like the two military guys having this heart to heart. And, and Colonel Corich is in this mech suit with the capsule open. And it's this incredible combination of like, it's a little bit of a Chekhov's gun because you know, you're like, in the third act of this movie, I'm going to get to see this mech suit <laughs> shooting bullets and chopping trees down, you know? And then on, in addition to that, I don't know how they made it. It looks so real to me, even 11 years after the movie came out, that mm-hmm. I feel like they must have built most of the chassis of that mech and had him sitting in it physically and had Sam Worthington in proximity. I, I Do you know the moment I'm talking about? I mean, like, yeah. I was looking at it and was, like, actually asking myself, as somebody who writes and acts and, and occasionally kind of helps produce movies, I'm like, how do they do this? Like, literally, how do they do this? Does the government own these mech suits and we just <laughs> don't know about it? What the hell? <laughs> it kind of feels like this the sequence in uh I mean it feels a lot like the sequence in Aliens when Ripley goes to the the deck for the first time is yes. like how how can I help? There're two people having a conversation and in the background there's so much physical technology happening yes. and so much world building during their like just kind of fun inter- interaction. I mean the scene is almost identical to what's happening and it ends with like him just wanting to help and just like that scene ends with ripley just wanting to do something she gets in the mech i mean the mechs are very similar but you're right like there's no way they didn't build that it's just fully realized so i think that this movie you brought something up that i kind of wanted to talk about and i don't know that it necessarily fits under like our favorite parts but i also don't know that there's one of the later categories that it fits under so Mm -hmm. i I just want to ask you guys as a thought experiment of like this movie as not a spiritual sequel, but as sort of a like parallel universe thought experiment as what if, what if Sigourney Weaver's character Ripley, but in this, you know, Grace meets these aliens. And then instead of them being this insane parasitic killing machine, they're Mm -hmm. peaceful people. This movie almost plays out 
It's the exact same movie. But but right, but 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 like with totally yeah. different stakes. And it's it's yeah. really cool yeah. because one is this sci-fi action horror movie, and then the other one is this sci-fi action fantasy movie. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting as a sister piece, and I found it particularly interesting because of Grace. And I, th- I think Grace is a little bit of a flawed character. There's some elements of Grace that I don't, I don't totally love. I think some of her dialogue is some of the most stilted dialogue. But I do love the idea of this person who is obsessed with the Navi, built this school, taught them to speak English, ended up excommunicated, and then is still trying to find her way back in. I do think that that, as I just described it, is a very interesting character. And especially knowing, you know, of course, spoilers, there's always spoilers talking about these movies in depth. But, you know, when she dies and literally becomes a part of the Navi and her last words are, I, I see her, she's real, you know, in reference to the goddess of the forest. It, like, um, there is an interesting parallel between that and Ripley. And Ripley is, you know, I mean, like, like the way she takes Newt under her wing and aliens and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and like, you have to think that if the xenomorphs in Alien and Aliens had not been just like the perfect killing machine that, that Ripley, because she's such an adaptable character, not to talk about another movie for too much, but like that that she would have tried to find a way to communicate with them. And and, and I so I do love Avatar as a sister piece to Aliens. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just doing that because Aliens older. is like a top 10 all time movie for me. But yeah, it's just it's old Ripley being pissed about the fact that she's on another alien planet and so (laughs) she's finally trying to just like play nice but she's bitter and she's not like you know it's like but like there's so much stuff between like all of that like so so i'll be honest when i when i saw this in 2009 and maybe you guys it, it was so good that i told myself i am never going to watch this again until right before the next one comes out and i have not watched it I have not watched it until this week because of you, Ben. Yeah, that's friendship. But but when I, because it's like you have those that you hype up in your head and it's one of those that like, I don't want to watch this not in a movie theater kind of thing because mm-hmm. that experience was so good. But like re-watching it a second time, like over a decade later, I didn't realize how much, because I was so into it when I was watching it, that watching it again, I'm like, oh my God, there is so much... Not, not not like that he just pulled stuff from Alien, but it's just like, it is such a good sister piece. That it's yeah, like, there, it's, it's echoes. It's not that he's ripping himself off. I think no. he's he's riffing on it. And yeah. I think you have to almost watch it on a smaller screen to get some of those smaller moments. I think so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, hugely. But it's like, there's there's so much that he pulled from it. It, it, it cracks me up. It's like... Yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, yeah, you you can just you can feel that it's the same you know brain at work, and you know I think he he's always had he always his themes are always very similar. You know, he always wants to talk about um, you know Mother Earth and and what that means to us as as a species and how technology impacts that, and and then of course like politics and specifically army and and military presence and and anti colonization. That, oh, like, yeah. uh, consistently throughout his work anti-colonization yeah yeah so so like you know the biggest 
qualm people always had with this is they're like, oh, it's just Pocahontas or it's just John Smith uh, and, and and John Smith or it's Fern, Fern Gully. Gully for grownups. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, it's like, bitch, Fern know, Gully yeah. is also Pocahontas. But I'm like, man, because the universe looks a li- is similarly colored, uh, that's about all you can do. There's like kind of dragons and, and, and the rest of it's like, no, man, it's not. And also, like, if you want to start bringing up how much, like, movies, like, are inspired or plagiarize each other, it's like, how many things are inspired by the Bible? How many things are inspired by Shakespeare? Right. You know, like, uh, then you're just going to be an endless nitpicky person. But this movie brings so much, like, magicalness, I think, to, like, a film-going experience and so much newness and, and richness. And I don't think you've ever seen a world quite realized the way we see Pandora realized here. Um, and, and that, that's to me, like was such a shame in 2009, like, uh, he went up against his ex-wife, Captain Bigelow, who did the Hurt Locker that year and who lost out best director and best picture to her. But this, uh, this movie, I think at least for a best director, this is like, it was literally 15 years of his life. He realized, I mean, he could literally tell you what a plant is on screen and what its purpose is. He literally sat there and created this world yeah, intricately as much as, you know, somebody would with like stop motion animation, but even more so here because the depth of everything and creating the technology to realize this pure vision i mean it's like something it's so much care and 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 love with a big like uh, i think message that that is resounding obviously it was worldwide um because it is action and it is like thrills but it it does have heart and it does have meaning and purpose uh and, and it's something you've never seen before and i think when people want you know it became easy to hate because it became the biggest movie um but I think a lot of people haven't revisited it. And I think it needs to be revisited much like the last Jedi is the best of the new star Wars movie. And maybe, maybe of all time, it needs oh, to be revisited. Uh, because... I agree with the first comment. The second <laughs> one's fire. Oh man. <laughs> no, I, but like, is that maybe the all time like tough Oscar matchup? Cause I mean, the hurt locker absolutely rules. It, uh, yeah. And Catherine Bigelow crushed it, but it's such yes. a smaller movie. I mean, like, that's yes. not apples and oranges. That's yeah. apples and potatoes. That's apples and sea monkeys. I mean, like, like it's just not the same thing. Like, they, the only way that those are the same is that they're both films. Like, that's it. Like, like, yeah, I think I'm with you, Adam, that every time I watch this, I think it's a little less like Fern Goalie. I think it's a little less like Pocahontas. And here is my main argument. And I love, you know, probably if I was going to, you know, uh, think more about uh, representation in my booking, I probably wouldn't have picked. So that's three white guys talking about this. But like, okay, I think that what sets this movie apart from a lot of white savior movies and um, uh, Dances with Wolves and Fern Goalie is that... Jake has to literally die to become one of the Navi. He has to literally give up his physical self entirely and literally become them to be one of them and to fully understand them. And I get it. That doesn't erase the white savior narrative entirely from the film. I'm not saying that, but You've never seen that in a movie before that I can think of, and you've never seen it since that I can think of. And I think that that's a really interesting story element, especially considering Jim Cameron's track record with anti-colonization as a motif in his films, is that Jake literally decides to die, to, to completely forego 
if, if we're going to take it as a race metaphor, his whiteness in the most literal sense, in a way that can only happen in fantasy and sci-fi, in a way that can literally only happen with magic to fully embrace and understand them. And until that happens, he actually ends up screwing them over and hurting them because of his lingering whiteness, because of his humanity. And, and I, I don't know. I think that like that is a very unique story element that you can't just brush off when you're in, in the middle of like kind of like 144 characters talking about, oh yeah, it's just Fern Gully for growing up. So it's just, it's just Dances with Wolves. I, I think it's a really cool, weird way to end this movie that he dies and is reborn in a new body. It's, it's way closer to a <clears throat> Jesus matrix, you know, kind of story than it is Fern Gully Dances with Wolves. Am I totally off? <laughs> no, no I, I think you're right. I, I kind of have to totally agree but also have to point out the fact that this is also kind of this is also kind of James Cameron too. That Sam Worthington played basically the same character in 2009 with Terminator Salvation and Avatar. That he literally does what you just said. He is like, wait, he's in Terminator Salvation? Yeah, I yeah. totally blanked that out. Weird. And he basically gives up his rights decides then wakes up as a terminator okay and then, and then is trying to make yes. better on his decisions that he that he made which i find it funny that both of those were kind of both james cameron kind of and that it was sam worthington basically playing the lead role well and that they're like the almost they're almost totally different narratives one of yeah. the narratives is like biological creatures and nature are sacred and, and life is sacred. And like yeah. the reason why humanity has drifted too far apart is because we've leaned too much into machines. And then the That's other funny. one is life is meaningless. Ones and zeros are God. They're, like, like, yeah. like, they're totally different messages. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay you're you're right that that that's another example of it but it's it's Which still is, i think but but, yeah. but terminator salvation is not a colonizer's story like no. that last story no. element is similar but i'm yeah. I, I guess i'm maybe i should be more specific and say name a dances with wolves name a pocahontas name a a, a fern goalie where the colonizer decides i need to literally die for my sins basically mm -hmm. and be reborn as this better group of people it's just an interesting twist again it doesn't wash it away mm -hmm. um let's talk about sam worthington so he's australian and there are some maybe weird moments where his accent is you know luckily it's a sci-fi movie right but i think in general he gives a pretty charming kind of walbergian performance in this he is the dopey idiot that's charming there's like a little bit of Wahlberg does this thing really well, like in Boogie Nights and in I Heart Huckabees, where you're like, oh, you're an idiot, but you're so sweet. And mm -hmm. and I think Jake has that. You know, Jake is kind of that like high school quarterback who has in, like an unbelievable uh, photographic memory, but is for some reason failing geometry. And I, I like his performance a lot. And, you know, there there are reports that the studio really fought for Matt Damon and Jake Gyllenhaal. And I don't like either of those picks as much as I like Sam Worthington. What do you guys think? Mm, I mean, I like Sam because he, at the time, was fairly unknown. It's kind of like plugging in 
uh, Carl Urban or something, you know, one sure. of these guys who can like act really well. But, you know, at the same time, there's a reason why Sam Worthington, even though he's in the biggest movie of all time, we all know who his face is. We don't, most people don't know his name. And he has, sure. a, That's a good it's point. very, very Carl Urban-esque, like yeah. terrific actor. Um, but he's not, you know, you don't, and, he, and I think Cameron's smart enough to know you don't need Matt Damon to sell this movie. The movie's going to sell itself. There's no point in plugging in somebody with such a name recognition become because it becomes Matt Damon in James Cameron's avatar. Whereas right now it's just James Cameron's avatar and the movie is so, you know, it's a sum of, uh, of all of its parts. And I don't think it putting in one of those is just odd, I think. And then you look at his career, um, you know, back to like putting Schwarzenegger, who at the time was not a movie star, uh, in the Terminator. Oh, and how, it, have how you that... guys ever seen Hercules in New York, which is like <laughs> one of the only movies he had been in before that? I have it, not. Oh, oh, you guys, oh, what's yourselves to see that? It's so bad that they had to go and redub most of his dialogue, but like it's <laughs> fascinating. It's like 22 year old Arnold Schwarzenegger as Hercules in new york oh my gosh you guys it's so so terrible you have to check that out yeah but yeah no he he was not an actor really not it's it's certainly not a movie star i mean no. like james cameron is the reason why we got jingle all the way i mean jingle all the way is not a james cameron film but there is no jamie the top of Mendel if if we don't have you know the recognize like the just recognizing the physical screen presence that is sure. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Jim, Jim Cameron has an incredible eye for talent. There's just no question about that. Yeah, but I think it's just like his placement of Sam in this movie. It just fits right in line with kind of what he was doing at the time. I mean, even Titanic, I'm sure DiCaprio is huge now, but in 97, he was kind of a teen heartthrob joke in, in a lot of ways. And he was, and Titanic was his shifting into adulthood and trying to like earn respect of, of his, you know, Hollywood peers. And so he's never really went with the obvious choice of, uh, of this person's the biggest person of all time. And it's going to be them at the top bill. He's going with people that he knows can do the job and do the work uh, and we'll get lost in the role. And I think, well, I'm like, uh, I mean, Zoe Saldana had been in a couple of movies, yeah. but He's the one who recognized that Zoe Saldana. I mean, like, absolutely. I, she, I will watch her in literally anything. And she is incredible. so captivating. And like the range, I mean, to go from like Pirates of the Caribbean, this, and, and Gamora and Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, she's funny. She's like hilarious. Like, like, yeah. she, like, honestly, at some point in time, like somebody like Judd Apatow should probably try to work with her. Cause I think she is like legitimately a funny person. And like she can do stunts and drama and and like oh, yeah. I mean like Zoe Saldana in this movie, some of her totally nonverbal alien non-human acting where she's screaming and like it's not even a cry it's like this guttural beast like mm. but it's like it's recognizable it, it it's like this weird thing where like she's this blue cat cat person making a noise you've never heard before and then like you're, you're you get goosebumps because there's something in it that is resonant in in your dna and it, i mean like man she crushes it she totally crushes it <laughs> oh, she's my favorite part of star trek and and guardians i mean yeah. she just oh god you're right ahura oh my gosh yeah she's yes just, she just it's so great and like it's crazy to think about how because like i love sam worthington but it feels like in that, like around that time that Hollywood was 
because of James Cameron was really trying to push Sam Worthington into this huge blockbuster new Matt Damon and just never got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but I love him. Even like, even the cheesy uh, Thursday night blockbuster run of uh, like Man on the Ledge. I love that. It's just a fun movie. Like it's like, and he's a phenomenal actor and it's crazy that like, I honestly feel like he, he should be getting way bigger roles than than he, than he has because he really hasn't done anything like super huge since Avatar. And yeah, well, they're working on Avatar. Isn't it two, three, four, and five? Isn't it a, a pentology now? I mean, yeah. yeah. I could get on another rant where I don't feel like they should do any of them. But see, I think that the world is so big. I, I don't think they should do another one that's humans versus Navi. I don't want that. But I do think they see, could do. That's what I'm afraid of. That's what I think it yeah. will be. You know. Well, so before we move into the categories, I want to just kind of like broadly say that one of my favorite things about this movie that we haven't said explicitly is production design and that just the overall work of having the Navi have this very specific look and feel and the humans have this very specific look and feel and the color palettes and the textures and the different beasts. I mean, like, like I kind of say it as if I'm making fun of them because, like, there's the Aardvark horses and the Gila monster swans mm-hmm. and all that. But, like, they're incredible. All of the character designs in this are exceptional. And, I mean, like, even just, like, little details, like the fact that, like, Grace's avatar looks like she just came back from Sandals, Jamaica, and she has, like, <laughs> braids in her hair and, and has the Stanford University onesie and, like, I guess not onesie, tank top. And, and, and the bioluminescence of the jungle and how different everything looks at night and day in, in the Navi's world, whereas like in the human world, everything looks the same all the time. And the way that that production design threads into the battles between the humans and the Navi and how clear it is to tell good from evil. And I think that's a big thing in big battle scenes in <clears> movies. <throat> and that's why Star Wars is so successful, that it's like, well, what color is the lightsaber? You know, and, and like, yeah. I think that it, it's so clear and, and, and concise and articulate when, when they are fighting. That's like, oh, yeah, that's gunmetal and it's linear. So it's human. Oh, it's fire. So it's human. Oh, it's sleek and it's leopard printed. So it's the Navi. And I mean, like, they even introduced this idea in like one of the very first scenes when they're at the camp and you see this truck pull up. And its tires are like littered with Navi arrows. And you can just so see so clear that it's like this totally artificial gold kind of yellow truck and these very rigid tires. And then in them are these like imperfect arrows that have been shot perfectly. And I don't know, just the production design and the way that that production design reflects the story and allows James Cameron to tell the story. I know that's a broad concept, but if I had to say one thing that's my favorite thing about the movie, that's it. It's the the nonverbal storytelling that happens because of how perfect, and I mean perfect, I don't mean that as hyperbole, I mean literally perfect, the production design of this film is. I, I, what do you guys think? I mean, I'm sure you agree at least to a degree, but oh, what, what do you think of the production it's, design it's, and the, the nonverbal storytelling? It's part of what makes it, I mean, he, he knows... He knows, and this is where, why people, I think, compare it so much to Pocahontas is, is like with the production design and 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 even down to the character design, really, of the Navi and all, all like the the creatures throughout the universe here. Um, I mean, this movie is so much about how like we don't need 
words to communicate really. We can understand each other in different ways. We can understand nature in different ways. Um, so I think like just how they interact with the environments and is so important. Uh, and, and it actually does make me really excited to see what he does with the next couple of movies. Uh, again, he's always innovating and like he shot the next like 90% underwater, whatever the fuck that means. Um, but I'm just fascinated about where which he's is gonna... especially interesting considering that the two films he made in between this and Titanic were documentaries where he shot underwater and literally invented cameras that shot on. He's he's been inventing cameras that shoot underwater since 1999. Sorry to interrupt, Adam. But oh like, yeah. It, to, to the casual fan that's like it's underwater. Yeah, it's underwater, and we don't even know what that means. Sorry, Adam. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I meant, meant more meant to piggyback, but continue. No, it's just like I think it just all fits together, and 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 how how so immersive this. Whether it's, I mean, it's truly incredible because then you top it off with like his understanding and love of of real three D, but even watching it as a two D flat movie, it's still so immersive. And so, like, such a magical experience, I think, to be... I, I mean, the, the, this movie is just, like, incredible. I, I, I mean, I, I could go on and on about how all these parts... Like, almost the story is the least important part because you're so swept away. If you're sitting thinking about this movie, you're, you're, you're just wanting to have, find things in Epic because it does... It, you, you should be transported fully into Pandora, just as Jake is, and, and yes. is fully invested in this movie, whether you're invested in the story or not. The world is what's sweeping and, the, and you know, the images and the music. And I think uh, it's just such a profound experience, I think. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. Like, uh, I, I can say that uh, having I didn't see the movie for until this year um, since 2009 or 2010. I think I watched it in 2010. So it had been about 10 years, um, but it did in 2018 go on the brand new uh, Avatar rides at Disney. And Ooh. I, I Jealous. flew, I flew on one of those, uh, what are, what are the beasts are called? Uh, and I, the, the technical I, term is Gila monster swan. That's I, the technical term. Yeah, yeah. I rode one of those. It was like the coolest fucking Banshees, ride of my, of my yeah. life. Literally. Yeah. The Banshees, you go through like this whole experience. Like you can tell James Cameron just was heavily involved. It's like the most interesting and in-depth and, and modern ride. And like, build up to the ride like you're going through all these different set pieces and they're so intricate uh and then by the time i got off the ride which i don't even know how long it was it felt like a, a long time you're flying through the pandora lands and, and, and you're riding on this banshee and like water's in your face you can smell things you're like oh, it's just incredible i got off and i was teary-eyed and i was just like i need to watch that movie again because yeah this movie this ride blew me away and the movie still blows me away because of how invested James Cameron was in creating this world of Pandora. Yeah. No, Zach, before funny. we move on. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Before, yeah. Before we move oh, to the categories, just, yeah. Speak to the nonverbal storytelling, the production. I design. can't, yeah. I can't say anything more to, to that, like watching it again, because the first time you watch it, you're so into everything, blue Pandora, everything. It's mm -hmm. just like every, I mean, you can't, you can't take it all in. But like watching it again, I, I realized that like James Cameron could have completely phoned in everything else that wasn't like Pandora. Sure. But even, even watching it again, I'm just like military bases, labs, everything, the details in it were just, even that, I mean, even after the fact, even watching Pacific Rim, Godzilla, Transformers, everything, it is like, 
even his military base, like everything was just so well done that just, I mean, it was on another level. And 10 years later, I still, I'm watching this again and I'm like, I no, no one has still done a better human world aspect of, of what he did with that when he could, could have completely thrown that in and just focused on, you know, Pandora, that that was like your eye-catching thing. It was like, even the details of watching their getting in there. Um, yeah, just you know, into those pods to activate yeah, the avatar. Like, yeah. I'm like, no, you're right. It, like, because oh. for the movie to really work, we have to agree. At some point, Jake says, and I'm butcher, butchering it just a little bit, but like he says, it's starting to blur together. I can't remember which world is the real one. We need to feel that way as the audience too. And, yeah. he, and, yeah. and he pulls it off largely because of what you're saying, that the human side of it is not neglected he didn't just like shoot it in like a, a current science lab. It was like, no, you have to you have to believe everything. You have to understand like the food's different, the the technology's different. Every little thing yeah. is different I, and real yeah. and has stakes. Yeah, and I don't think I realized until watching it again that it was how how much territory they took up on this planet until they showed some of those like really wide shots. Yeah. Of like, okay, this isn't just like I mean they like completely just like took over huge amounts of space like like i i i because you you don't focus on that the first time you watch it totally Mm -hmm. you know and that 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 just like blew me away the most watching it again yeah all right well so let's move into the categories we can keep talking about the movie just kind of through some different lenses so i want to start things off with the zippity doodah moment for what's aged the worst on one of them zippity doodah days now that's the kind of day when you came. So unlike Song of the South, it doesn't have to be racist. It's just what what hasn't held up. What you know, the movie's eleven years old. We've talked a lot about how a lot of the CGI holds up really well. I'm just curious to know what you guys think. Maybe hasn't aged well. I'll say that there are, especially in the first third, there are just a couple of like slow mo motions, like slow mo motions. Sorry, slow. There, are, <laughs> I might edit this out. Who knows. There are a couple of, I probably won't. Uh, people know if they listen to any of my podcasts that I can't speak English. So I, there are a couple of slow-mo moments that it's not necessarily that they age poorly in a macro sense. It's more that there are only two or three of them. And it just seems so jarring to have a couple of moments that are slow motion. And specifically, I don't think they serve any kind of narrative and i honestly i couldn't help but wonder just a little bit it's the only part of the moment movie making where i got pulled out just a little and was like mm-hmm. i wonder if they didn't get the shots they needed i wonder if they didn't get the actual footage they needed but it's almost always like hand-to-hand combat it's like when jake fights the hammerhead shark bear and <laughs> then when when zoe saldana and jake first meet there's like maybe one other moment but like there are like three very brief slow-mo scenes that just, they pull me out just a little bit. If you're asking me to, to nitpick, that's some of the only filmmaking I could point to that I just didn't check out for me. I don't know if you guys, if that stuck out to you guys or not. Adam, maybe you have a good defense for it that I don't have. Um, I think it was the early uh, digital cameras he was using. I think he was trying to use slow, an actual, he was actually trying to shoot in slow motion. Oh, I don't, I don't think, uh, I mean, not until really the last like 
seven or eight years did that get really good in the digital land yeah and, and instead it reads as being edited in post i bet you're right i bet uh-huh. it was technically shot in slow-mo and it just doesn't trick my eye that's an interesting and, point and it might play okay in 3d is an interesting thing i didn't remember it at all it, it was definitely like a first like this is the first time i've watched it on a yeah. television and suddenly i was like oh yeah it didn't i will i will say that the those i know exactly the two or three moments you're referring to and they they jump out to you like all of a sudden it's like kind of a soap opera effect yeah. in slow motion yeah. and i think it's just those cameras at that time just uh they just had bad bad slow-mo unfortunately anything else to you guys that just didn't that didn't age well or didn't hold up i mean I, like i'm shocked at how short the list is for me um, uh besides sam worthington's career <laughs> his like i, I, I kind of said his australian accent comes through a couple of times like there's like a moment yeah. where he's like he's like all right zoe Saldana, and you're like what yeah. <laughs> first of all I mean, like i i do think <laughs> After watching this, you know, 11 years later, I think that if it was made today, I think studios would have pushed him to, to put quite a bit more diversity in the cast for sure. Um, mm. But, you know, other than that, like, I kind of have to go on an opposite way that it's like, maybe not what hasn't held up. I think that even 11 years ago, it set such a precedence that like, and, and, and I go on just rants and stuff about this that like, I hate. I hate new movies. I hate like I mean like I love new Netflix movies. I, I like they're fun, but CGI has gotten to a point that it is just it it takes me out of the movie so much because I saw that explosion, that exact same one that they put in another movie. Oh, I see what you're saying. And like and that's just me as like a visual, just like noticing that or the same the same sound effect that I also heard on a Crash Bandicoot video game 10 years ago that they're still using as a kid's laughter voice yeah. years later. So, so, so maybe it's, like, it's it's not that Avatar aged poorly, it's that it was so successful that what it allowed other films to pass for aged poorly. Yeah, and so, but in like, and I, I, I love Netflix and I love HBO, I love that they're giving, like, giving way more opportunity, but it's like they're, it's not as big a budget and so they're getting stuff done they're just putting content out there it's great but it's like even some big blockbuster stuff besides okay besides star wars and marvel they're the only ones that will always get a pass to me because everything that they do is like top tier like everything else under that is like the cgi i mean but that is why like i mean i will always love practical effects in most stuff that's why that's why every single thing Quentin Tarantino does is always right. gonna be great. But also like, like James Cameron, you just mentioned two franchises that, that use practical effects blended with CGI. That's yeah. the that's what it is. It's like yeah. episode one, two, and three, George Lucas just had everybody in front of green screens and blue screens. There wasn't mm-hmm. any like but like episode seven, eight, nine, rogue one, love or hate what the stories do. They look great. And it's yeah. because there's this blending of CGI and practical effects. And yeah. same with the Marvel movies. The Russo brothers understand that uh-huh. you have to actually have Mark Ruffalo on set and he needs to look big and the actors need to like be able to duck and dodge his elbows and stuff. I don't know. I, I will say Marvel movies have very suspect CGI a lot of times. Well, okay. Also also true. I guess I maybe I'm mostly batting for the Russo brothers films. Yes, like Black Panther. Say- I would actually say specifically Russo Brothers movies. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Like Avengers, both of them. There's like scenes where I'm like, what the? 
like it, actually it's interesting that you say mark ruffalo especially hulk in the last two avengers movies when he's there's when sequences he's, where he's like it looks like he's like just photoshopped into the actual sequence it's such a, a non-three-dimensional like character i mean granted they have so much going on but this that's also like 10 years after james cameron already built an entire universe that looked much more and much right. more real and, and which depth. is ridiculous i think it's just the care and the quality right like what james cameron did in you know from 2006 to 2009 was unprecedented versus what they do today and it's like i think the the care is just different and he well, did and come from a background of practical effects sure so he did have some blending of sets and and you know it's like the it's like the first three lord of the ring movies versus the hobbit movies yeah it's like they're just different they're made in different times with different technologies and and like the original star wars versus you know the new ones um and, well the new ones I, I guess the middle 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 of the ones just like where they were being made what the uh processes were and i think like you have james cameron who is so cautious and and careful with the process that it's it just comes across it works better than anybody else can make it. You know, like we said, there's maybe even a couple other filmmakers that see 3d better or as good as this. And they're all masterclass filmmakers. Yeah. Alfonso and, Cuaron. And, yeah. 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 Right. And yeah. Martin Scorsese. And then you have, uh, uh, James Cameron, of course. And I think it's, it's just, I don't know. I, I think, uh, the, the effects you're right. Like the blend, he's smart because I still think, that that mech is partially real and i i, I bet it is i because he's not dumb he knows at like, least part of it stuff. has to be yeah, yeah he, he knows like you you could blend it and it's cheaper and faster in post to have you sit and even partial and finish it and carry it carry it forward right uh unfortunately like we've kind of come back into not in the you know movies like like the marvel movies but by and large a lot of movies now are back into blending practical and cg effects um, I wish Marvel would get into it more, but I just don't think that's a priority of theirs. Yeah, I, I, and, and I'll, 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 I will back down a little bit to you and say, like, I don't mean to hold Marvel up as a like gold standard. I will say that I think compared to like Michael Bay movies, they're trying. But like, yeah. if, if Star yeah. Wars is the franchise that I will hold up and say, I think yeah. that JJ's JJ and Ryan Johnson's Star Wars movies really are the only movies since that Avatar. Last Star Wars movie. I don't know. Has some well, good, there's some, some battle scenes in, that, in the last ones. I agree with that. But uh, there's some good stuff too. But yeah. Uh, well, you, guys remember, you guys remember seeing behind the scenes of like Titanic. Right. Yeah. Like Th those sets. Because, and you're <laughs> thinking like, how did you build a pool big enough to do right. that? You know? And it's like, no, I, I mean, I'm sure people did, but it's like we didn't at that time in 1990, whatever, it was like, that seemed monstrous like to be able to do that when we you have the capability but it wasn't great so the fact that he like built he built that pool built. Yeah, yeah so it's and, like, and 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 in the words of blink 182 i want to see some naked dudes that's why i built this pool yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Right, so let's move on to buzzness. Uh, sorry. Oh my gosh, I can't talk at all. Sadness is buzzkill question. Joy, you could get lost in there. Think positive. Okay. I'm positive you will get lost in there. So these are questions that sadness from inside out would ask. Nitpicky, you know, plot holes, that things like that. Um, I've got two right off the top. The first is helicopter gecko flies in circles in a way that makes no sense. They touch this gecko thing and it flies up and it's a neon helicopter gecko. 
but the whole thing spins in a full circle. So like the animal would just constantly be vomiting. It, like it's one of the only <laughs> moments where the character design makes literally no sense. Like like no animal would ever function like that. And it's the only animal in the whole world of Pandora that moves like that. I don't get it. And then my other one that's a bigger nitpick is when they are all locked in and having, you know, heretical linkage and, and seeing each other, it's, it's established by something that Grace says to Giovanni Ribisi uh, that, like, they're all communicating basically through this incredible high-speed internet. And they can all hear each other, which is why they don't need walkie-talkies. And they, like, put two fingers to their chest or, like, their throat and then talk. They would be able to read each other's minds, which is cooler and is what should have happened, I feel like. I feel like it's so much cooler that they would all be able to read all of each other's thoughts. That is that is that maybe is that like visually hard to sell in the audience? So it must have been. Touch? I hope it's in the sequels. I hope like at some point in the sequels, they're like. I think it might be too much like Independence Day if they do it that way because the alien communicates telepathically yeah and while they're not in the same universe of quality of films they are like popular films so i'm, I'm curious yeah. if, like if they're just like when you're thinking of all the different types of alien movies and how you aliens can communicate um maybe I just it's think, like, like they're all connected e. style, they're guess, all literally right? connected and i i just i think that like you could do it as like a voiceover like it could still like it's just instead of like instead of like the like kind of walkie talkie voice that we're used to it could have like a swirly phasery effect or something like that. I don't know. I just thought it was weird that like they hold two fingers to their throat like they're pushing a button. But it's like that doesn't make sense. That doesn't do anything. Yeah. Uh, again, that, that's how good this movie is that I'm nitpicking at that degree. Did you guys have any super nitpicks or anything like that? Yes. Sadness would be very upset with the goddamn papyrus font that they use. For yes! <laughs> That, that <laughs> SNL famously called out. Yeah. Yes, yes. That even years later, that Ryan Gosling can... I know what you did! <laughs> ...in an SNL skit, that even 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 in 2000... Was it 2005 in my design class? Yeah. You know, four years before that knew that that was a fun... And when, the, when they're speaking Navi, the yes, subtitles are in the subtitles! Yeah. Oh my God! I guarantee because I guarantee I, I guarantee the next one they will change the branding for the for, for the series. Yeah, I guarantee it. Uh, yeah, sadness with us. She'd be like, "That's just papyrus." Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh God. Oh, yeah. You just don't. That that is the most stock thing that every bad photographer from two from 99 to 2006 used as their photography logo. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You just don't use it. Oh, I love that the graphic designs is the person who brings up papyrus. Oh, can't stand it. Uh, but it did follow the rule of thirds pretty well, but papyrus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Adam, any nitpicks? Any potholes? Um, you know, I, I feel like the movie is like generally pretty tight. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the the universe i don't know like it is a really tight 
world and i'm trying to recall nothing help me up you know like it you don't have like, to nitpick you can be joy you don't have to be yeah, sadness. It, it, it's yeah. the mark of a good movie i think that i was like lost i'm not picking it apart i think when a movie is bad your brain starts wandering and you start yeah. like kind of noticing dumb things or like leaning over and like whispering something i think this is noticeably lacking um a lot of those moments because it is such a thrill ride so no great oh, i love that oh, answer God, I think. All right, so it, let's it, talk it about the the, the pace. You like you said, the pacing is so good. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. I kind of forgot that I'm like watching, and then when they start destroying everything, and I'm like, wait, there's still 45 minutes left. And they fly by. Like, yeah. Well, that I mean, like I think it's cool that like yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't want to rehash it totally since we kind of talked about, it, but yes, the pacing's so good that like I remembered that the movie was two hours and 40 minutes. I yeah. didn't remember that it flies. Yeah. I mean, yeah. absolutely, it rips by. So speaking of things that are good, let's talk about the Mr. Potato Head Award. Hey, Ham, look, I'm Picasso. Yeah, I don't get it. You uncultured swine. What are you looking at? So this is for the character who did the most with the least screen time or the fewest lines. Obviously, Mr. Potato Head being the uh, the gold standard here. I, I, I don't know if he totally counts. Maybe he has just a few too many lines. I mentioned him a little bit earlier, but I am going to say Stephen Lang as Colonel Miles Korich. I know he is kind of the movie's big bad, but this movie's so much about world building and stuff. He's not in that many scenes. He doesn't have that much screen time. And yet I immediately think of him when I'm thinking about this movie and I'm thinking about cool parts about this movie. And I'm thinking about what's tough and cool and scary about this movie. I do think of Colonel Korich and so he is my nomination for the Mr. Potato Head Award. What do you guys think? Uh, I think Joel David Moore. Uh, I think his character okay. is like, he's almost like supposed to be like one part, like kind of fumbling comic relief. He's he's also like the the second, like most sciencey guy in this movie. So he yes. does like help yes. us with, with some pretty heavy like exposition. And he does it with, I think, Pretty, and he gets pretty some solid cool grace. moments with a machine gun later on too. Yeah, where it's like you know what? Yeah. I'm the nerdy science guy, but I'm going to stand and fight. I, I I I like that answer a lot too. Oh yeah. man, but also like Michelle Rodriguez fucking rocks in this movie. Oh, <laughs> I think Michelle Rodriguez is yeah, totally. It, I don't her, remember her character name because she's not in it very much. She's also in like four uh, four yeah. scenes, but she, uh, her, she Trudy was. Trudy, which is an Trudy. insane name for this movie. Trudy yeah. is a bizarre cuckoo bananas name. Gertrude. <laughs> Her name is Gertrude in this yeah. in this movie. Gertrude yeah, is the it. helicopter pilot. I love uh, it. No, no, you're right. Trudy, <laughs> Zach, feel free to give an answer, but I think you're right. Michelle yeah, Rodriguez my, is Trudy is the answer. My, I mean, mine was going to be Michelle Rodriguez. There you go. She, there you go. She is Michelle Rodriguez in what mm. she does best as like, I mean, I literally would watch her play that character in anything because that's basically yeah. the Lost, Fast and the Furious. Yeah. Yeah, she basically plays the same thing from Fast and the Furious. I love her and she's like she she does what she does best. I mean, like I, I probably I mean like I her call sign is Rogue One, which is one of my favorite yeah, Star Wars like, movies. Yeah. It's <laughs> I, I I would have loved to give it like I love Joel David Moore. I wish he would have had more of the comedic. Yeah. yeah. Like he's so good at comedy that I wish I wish he would have had more of that. And then the same of like Giovanni, I would have just loved to see him more in the movie. Yeah, I won't, I won't I call Giovanni Ribisi but... disappointing, but considering no. what we know he can do, James Cameron underutilized Giovanni Ribisi 
more than he underutilized any other element yeah. of the entire film. I, I think, again, yeah. I, I'm not saying bad performance. I'm not saying bad directing. I'm not no. saying bad writing. I'm just saying that, that because you had Giovanni Ribisi and that we didn't push him to his limits, uh, that, that's like maybe the mi biggest missed opportunity of the film. Well, um, yeah, but, but think about where he was in his career at that time. Oh, yeah, so he was, was Phoebe's brother him. from Friends, yeah. Yeah, like he was a good role for that time. I guarantee he will be a much bigger role in the coming film, as, yeah. as he should be, because... I think he'll last, be back. The last, there's there's every reason yeah. to think he'll be back. Yeah, because well, the whole Horace thing... could be back, him, but but yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I, mean, I love that we just keep calling him Giovanni Ribisi as one of his <laughs> characters. Uh, it's like, I, he, 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 the last thing we saw of him was like, okay, finally, like, screw the board and the, the money and the numbers, like, just, I'm giving you this much time, go out and do, like, fix it, like, so I'm hoping that we see him in that, like, care, more of a caring role. For yes, the I totally agree, totally agree. So we normally have the Stanley Award for Best Cameo, unless I'm totally wrong, there really aren't any cameos in this movie, so I will give it to in a weird loophole. I'm going to give it to James Cameron for his role in Entourage season two, where he's directing oh, yeah. Aquaman <laughs> starring Vinny Chase and Mandy Moore. So congrats, James Cameron. You have won the Stan Lee Award for Best Cameo. This next category is going to be fun for this movie, which is the Boba Fett Award. It's the new Boba Fett Star Wars large-size action figure from Kenner. Darth Vader sold separately. Capture them alive! I'm the best bounty hunter in the whole galaxy. That's why you got the job. Boba so this Fett is for the coolest toy that could be made for this movie. I'm going to go first and say it's the Scorpion helicopter. I think that the helicopter with the twin propellers at that angle it's it's so cool and i i love the design i love the idea of sticking my favorite action figures in there of having chewbacca and michelangelo drop out of that i i just i absolutely love it so my answer is without a question the scorpion helicopter what are you guys answers for coolest toy that could be made from this movie um i had to look up what it was called i got it here it is the Eros bottle SA2 Samson ship piloted by Trudy. Uh, it is very similar. I think it might be the same. I think it is a I think it is a scorpion, but I think it's like a specific, like she's like the leader of that squadron. Yeah. So she probably is like a yeah. Her and well, thing, hers gets like the cool war paint later on. Yeah, yeah. It, it it looks like it's similar, but it's it is a little bit different. Hers is fucking rad. Yeah, it's it's uh it's yeah. it's awesome. It's cool as shit. I don't know. Um, yeah. I'll also submit, uh, this is like not as cool a toy, but if you could actually make this work somehow, on Giovanni Ribisi's desk, he has a chunk of unobtainium that is just floating. And if mm. you could buy that while you're waiting in line at Barnes & Noble, I That's think that that would be incredible. I would I would love <laughs> to get... Very specific there. But you know what I'm talking about, like pockets yeah. in garden. You know, like like if you could just buy like, <laughs> hunk of unobtainium you know uh yeah and have it actually float like i'm sure you could do it with magnets you know like similarly charged magnets or something like that but uh, uh i love the idea of having something on your desk that floats and looks like a chunk of pandora but yeah i, I would love that zach favorite toy anything other than scorpion or barnes and noble I, presents chunk of pandora. I, i'm sure they probably made some of these but like any of the mech suits yeah. Like, mainly, so if I could get what would now be a very expensive alien mech suit with one from Avatar next yeah. to each other, yeah. it would just be, like, 
the dream. You do mean life size, of course. Oh God, my wife would kill me. <laughs> It'd be good for like clearing out leaves and stuff and doing like, like getting the gutters cleared out. Um, oh man, I, I could lift trees. I, I don't know where to stick this comment, so I will stick it in best toy. Uh, Tarak Maktu, AKA The Last Shadow, that giant, you know, Gila monster swan. Um, I love it. And I do think that Tarak Maktu or Last Shadow, either one would make for a really great metal band name. So uh, I'm just throwing that out there as, <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh, you can okay, okay. Metal branding for that. that would be right? If anybody's looking for a metal name, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Tarak Maktu or Last Shadow, or like your album could be called Last Shadow. The band's called Tarak Maktu. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we're almost done here. If if this were a Disney musical, if this were to be adapted into an animated like Disney Renaissance, you know, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast type musical, what are some moments that you would most look forward to as musical numbers or scenes? I I feel like there is a really cool scene that is like the first time, like the scene where Jake takes control of his Gila monster swan like like that scene as a song as sort of a like I can go the distance from Hercules kind of song with the freedom that hand-drawn animation would give you and like the showing how scared Jake is and then like particularly I think the cool moment would be when he and the Gila monster swan are linked that like the Gila monster swan's voice is now in his head so like he Mm -hmm. could even like potentially like be joining the song i think you think that'd be a really cool scene well how about you guys i think uh there's like a montage when he's learning to become one of them and he's like being put through the tests and stuff oh totally that is just fully missing like um like i'll make a man out of you by from along yes yeah yes it is fully missing that make a navi out of you (laughs) yes absolutely yes totally agree totally that's mine that's it Zach? I, I don't know. Like, when you say that, I'm just thinking about every scene. I'm like, the whole thing really lends itself, the whole thing to be a musical. I mean, like, from this, like, down I kind of think it would work. It yeah, really works like, as a Disney musical. And then he, like, you know, first, like, wakes up, you know, as it, one, and he's, like, trying to figure yeah. himself out. And then, I mean, like, the whole thing just, like... And here's my pitch for the, really uh, for the John Smith, I'm sorry, I mean, Sam Worthington character, Mel Gibson. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. He he's not canceled, right? He hasn't done anything really messed up in the last couple of years. All right. Oh no! I just read an I just read an article <laughs> that Mel Gibson is back, and he is. I I don't know if that you read an article. I think that was your aunt's Twitter post. So no, okay. I know because I was shocked about it. it was like uh, oh. You can't come back from some of the stuff he said <laughs> to, to his children. Give it, give it uh, time. To <laughs> his own family. Yeah. So, okay, we're almost done. We're almost done. So I, I always think this is a good way to just kind of wrap up the conversation and you can kind of shoehorn, shoehorn. What am I saying? I can't talk tonight. You can kind of shoehorn anything that we haven't talked about yet into this category, but best quotes, things that are said in this movie that, that you just feel need to be shouted out. One of my favorites is when, when you when the humans first start attacking and it's kind of revealed that Jake was not totally forthright with the Navi. Um, I am totally blanking on the character's name, but it's the, it's the man who 
Zoe Saldana was supposed to be mated with because he's going to be the next chief and she's basically going to be the next spiritual chief. And he says, you mated with this woman? And then Grace just goes, oh, shit. It is so good. And it is like peak Sigourney Weaver Ghostbusters level comedic delivery. I mean, it is like a really intense moment. It is kind of dark. There's like a little bit of like, I think you have to call it racial tension. And And then like, Oh shit! It is so funny, <laughs> and then I, I I have a couple more that are, um I, I just think like I said I I love Colonel Corich, and one of my favorite things that is done in this movie is James Cameron who we've said has he often takes stabs at the military, and this mm-hmm. character is such a puffer fish he tries to act so much cooler and tougher than he is, and some really good examples are when he tells Grace shut your pie hole mm-hmm. and he says it dead serious, and then she goes what are you gonna do shoot me Ranger Rick. And then I also love that his call sign, he goes, this is Papa Dragon. His call sign is Papa Dragon. That's so lame. And I love that because like, again, he's a total puffer fish of a human being. And I just think that like though a couple of those quotes there show that he's just not nearly as tough and cool as he thinks he is. So, so what are some of your favorite quotes the, the most, we haven't said most, yet? The most deadliest scene when they're destroying the tree he is sitting there drinking coffee. Right. And I'm just like, I never, I didn't catch that before. He's just drinking. He goes, well done, boys. I'm just, yeah. It's just so like. He's such a square. Yeah. 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 I, I, I also yeah. have one more that's not a funny quote, but I do think this is like legitimately a good, like I'm a big fan of the Lorax. I only have one tattoo and it's unless from the Lorax. And like, I think this is a very Loraxy quote. Actually, there is a Lorax shout out in this, the, the school that Grace teaches when they go to the school, there's a copy of the Lorax in it. Um, but all energy is only borrowed and one day you have to give it back. And I really like that a lot. And I just think it's, um, it's a good sentiment. And I think that, you know, uh, not to get all like heady and spiritual, but like, I, I think that that jives a lot with my idea of, life and our time as humans and this idea that like it's kind of a blessing to be alive and then like you you literally give it back it's you know lion king circle of life like someday our bodies are going to be soil that's feeding plants and i like the idea of the navi interpreting that as rather than you giving to the universe when you die it's like no 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 the universe gave to you to even be here in the first place and someday you're you're going to give it back because you're borrowing it i just like that a lot it's a really great sentiment. It feels very James Cameron. I, I like that a lot. Adam, any quotes that jump out at you? Uh, I remember um, Stephen Lang's character early on in the movie says something like, you're not in Kansas anymore. You're on Pandora, oh, yeah. ladies and yeah. gentlemen. Yes. It's like, uh, oh, man. If, if anybody else with Stephen Lang said that, it would. It, I mean, it's almost an eye roll moment still, but it's, <laughs> but it's he, so aliens and so well, and like. I think James Cameron understands you're supposed to roll your eyes at him. You know, yeah, I, I yeah. totally agree. I also. Shut up or shut up. Uh, a thing that's aged really well about the film, like not to be like super, you know, but like uh, he uses. Like he's he does a couple times say men and women, but a lot of time he just calls them all people. Like a lot of like characters like this would be like maggots or like all right girls, you know. Like and instead he's just kind of like okay people, let's do this. And it's like okay, you know what? Uh, Korich is like kind of weirdly woke for being a total meathead, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, so that's the discussion of the movie. That thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast yeah. and talking about Avatar and uh, and and just 
talking with me in general. So I think we all agree, right, that this movie holds up just super well and everyone should go watch it right now if you didn't already. Yeah, it, it's it's nuts. Okay, so um, this is when I offer people an opportunity to plug their pluggables. So Zach, is there anything you want to plug? Is there, if people want to follow you on social media or anything like that, anything that you care to shout out? Um, well, I would shout out our venue, but we're not open yet. Yeah. So hopefully uh, we're just working our asses off trying to, trying to make it through this time yeah. so hopefully um you know we're working every day trying to get get uh stuff together to figure figure yeah. out we if you should, we, if we you enjoyed zach on this as, podcast you yeah. can pay him back by going to a concert at the rhino once we have concerts again yes i agree with yep. that uh, I, miss, I miss concerts as much as all of oh you. my gosh it's it's awful i i miss it so much adam you have a bunch of stuff to plug i will plug for you so you don't even have to that you just recently uh, shot and edited an incredible film called Lost and Found. You and I actually did a chat about it that I believe is, um, is it on YouTube yet or is it still behind the paywall of the Patreon for Screenland? Uh, yep, it's only on the Patreon. Okay, well, then you better plug that here in a second. But uh, this this film, Lost and Found, it's an incredible short. I, I can't wait for people to see it. It, it is available in some forms that Adam is about to tell you about, but it, it's it's just very cool. And if you like Avatar, I think you'll like this film because it does a similar thing in a lot of ways without spoiling the story at all. So Adam, please plug your pluggables and uh, talk, talk about Screenland. Talk about the way people can help Screenland and the super cool Patreon. Uh, yeah, so the Patreon is patreon.com slash Screenland. Basically what that is, is like our film family, our film community. Uh, so we do like watch parties. We have a, a weekly podcast. We do blog posts. We do trivia every week. We do all sorts of fun stuff on there. Um, I host trivia we, sometimes. So yeah. if you're not sick of my voice yet, then maybe, yeah, that might be fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, it's it's a it's a lot of fun. It's a way for uh, if you're not you know comfortable going out, or if you don't live here and you want to support a theater, it's five to ten bucks a month um, to yeah be a part of our film family virtually. Um, and then we're doing indoor outdoor movies right now. I'm showing like just all the movies. It's just insane what I'm doing, the stuff we're showing right now. So from big like some of the deepest cut stuff to uh, really popular things like Empire Strikes Back. So yeah. Um, yeah. What else did you have me do? And then uh, I once a week I host a podcast where uh, we don't deep dive. Uh, me and my co-host Eric Havens, um, we deep dive into horror films and we talk about horror as allegory or subtext. Um, and that's a lot of fun. It's called the Nightmare Hour podcast, and we do them uh, once a week. Yeah. So check that out. And absolutely a worthy cause to subscribe to the Screenland Patreon. Again, like you do get weekly trivia paid for so it basically pays for itself and uh i was on an episode of the screenland podcast not that long ago so yeah if if, if you end up subscribing and want to check some stuff out i i talked to our, our buddy jacob from back on the episode uh we did monsters and incorporated a few episodes back and uh yeah it, a well worthy cause uh, for just an incredible institution in kansas city the the only independently owned movie theater and yeah i mean let, let's keep it afloat i mean when all this is over you still want all of the things that you loved from before to be open. And that's not necessarily going to happen unless you're proactively spending your money to support those things. So mm-hmm. people who listen to my podcast know I'll get on my soapbox a little for that, but that's an important cause. So thank you so much. I hope that you all find just, you know, wonderful deposits of unobtainium and become super 
Rich. Uh, we didn't talk about unobtainium all that much. You know, I didn't say <laughs> trivia stuff. I do. I forgot this on the last podcast. So before I totally wrap, I will say James Cameron originally planned for this to be released in 1999 and pushed it back. The actual production, once they started, took over four years to make. And that Sam Worthington was living in his car when he was officially confirmed for the role which is uh, is pretty wild. And he said that his Australian accent was so hard to overcome that he had an easier time learning the Navi language than he did learning his American accent. And I think, hmm. unfortunately, Sam, it shows a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you, Zach. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate you guys so much. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the end of the podcast. So st- uh, stop talking, Ben. Okay, bye. <laughs>